Good afternoon. If I could ask everyone to return to their seats. All right, thank you. Um, we don't pass around a collection plate or anything like that here at church. There's an offering basket at the back of the church, and you're also able to donate online. All right. So let's pray for this afternoon's offering. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you very much uh, for this first day of the year, and it gets to be a Sunday where we can gather together and worship you. Uh, thank you also, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to pray uh, for the offering that we give to the church uh, and so that the church collectively can help spread your word uh, here locally by supporting churches and ministries and also supporting uh, members, missionaries abroad uh, that, that do that, all that hard work. Uh, in addition to just giving money, uh, let us also pray uh, for the ministries, for these churches, for the missionaries. That way we're not, we are with them in spirit. And we also pray uh, that you are always guiding them and helping them to grow and to reach out uh, people who need to hear your word, hear the good news. Thank you, Lord, for this time, and in, and in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this afternoon, Kathy Cole will be reading this afternoon's scripture reading. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, is your, God, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, New Hope. 
Kathy, thank you for reading uh, all those commandments to us. Um, and, and uh, but, you know, just shout out to everyone who uh, reads Scripture in these services from week to week. Thank you for all of you who have read Scripture to us over this past year and, and even before that. Um, when, when someone gets up here to read Scripture to us, they are an instrument in God's hands. They're really a mouthpiece for God. They're giving us the, the, the pure words of our Creator, Redeemer, God Himself. It's such, a, it's such an important role. And it's such an important part of our worship service to simply hear God's Word read. So thank you to all of you who do that week after week. Happiest of New Year's to all of you, New Hope. May the Lord bless you and protect you, and may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he look with favor on you and give you peace in 2023 and forevermore. We are beginning a new year with a new teaching series called the Ten Commandments. And I realize that focusing on God's law might not sound very exciting to you. It might not even sound very helpful to you right now. Like, do I really need that to hear about God's commandments? But I think that your sentiments might change over time as we see what these commandments really have to offer us as we look at them in detail. At the start of last year, we spent about four months looking at the Apostles' Creed. Uh, from January through April. For, for any of you who weren't here for that or you're not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, it's a, it's a summary, an ancient summary of core Christian beliefs. And we went through those beliefs one by one. And after that, we spent May and June looking at what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew 6. That's where Jesus himself uh, instructs his followers on, on how to talk with their God, with God their Father. And now... We're going to get into the Ten Commandments. And, and here's partially why. Because for centuries, the church, churches all over the world, have grouped these three things, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments, and brought them together to use as basic tools of instruction. Historically, Christians have used all three of these to catechize. And to catechize simply means to teach new and also old believers about the essentials of the gospel, about the core message of the Bible and about what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. So last year, and really going into this year too, our focus has been on, on returning to basics, basics, in, in order to strengthen foundations, in part because I'm burdened for us to be a church that, that's firmly rooted in the faith that was once for all delivered to us. We need to be a family who knows what we believe, knows what God says and why we believe it so that we can live in light of what's true. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope that our, our trip through the Apostles' Creed and through the Lord's Prayer and now through the Ten Commandments helps, helps to, to deeper uh, the, the, the rootedness of your faith. But if you're still wrestling with whether to believe the claims of Christianity, perhaps you would not Identify yourself as a follower of Christ or a believer. You too need to know the core message of the Bible. If you're going to really discern for yourself whether it's true and whether it's worth believing or not. So, so wherever you happen to be in terms of your faith, I invite you to, to humbly walk through 
these Ten Commandments together, and, and, and hopefully we'll see what they show us. You will see what they show you about God, about the world, and about yourself, too. Now, when, when we hear the word commandment, uh, we might just think rules, uh, maybe even just arbitrary rules or, or, or antiquated rules, rules that restrict us and, and suffocate us. We might think that the law of God limits our freedom. And for that reason, we might not like the law of God. But in this series, what we'll discover is that God's commandments actually bring us to more freedom, not less. His law, his law, which is summed up in what's been called at times the Decalogue. These are just different names that we use for the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are sometimes called the Decalogue, which means literally the ten words. Sometimes it's just called the law. The New Testament will use the term the law to talk about the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it'll use the law to talk about other regulations and statutes that we find in the Old Testament related to uh, the, 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 the government of the nation of Israel and worship in ancient Israel. But when I use the law th during this series, what I'm talking about is the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten Words. God's law summed up in these Ten Words will lead us into more freedom, not less. Especially if we allow them to lead us to Jesus. And that's where they're intended to lead us. Not into just increased morality, but they're meant to lead us to Jesus, in whom we will find complete freedom. So today, my goal is to introduce these Ten Commandments. That's it. And then over the next ten weeks, we'll walk through each of them one by one. So today really is, um, it's about intro and, and setup, but, but it's vital that we do this um, if we're going to really grasp the beauty and the purpose of God's law. So, so as I thought about how to, how to introduce the commandments to us as a church, I really wrestled with how to, how to organize this teaching, but then uh, I came across something, <clears throat> I came across something short written by a pastor named Ray Ortland, and, and and it so resonated with me, and I thought, man, he, he's got it here. This is, this is great. So I'm going to borrow his framework today to introduce. It was his headings, really, to introduce the commandments. And then God willing, we may even use that framework in the weeks ahead as we look at each of these commandments. So here we go. Here we go. The Ten Commandments do four things all at once. They do four things. The Ten Commandments are revelation, they are confrontation, they are instruction, and they are promise. They do all four of these things. They are all four of these things simultaneously, and we're going to look at what each of those means. The Ten Commandments are revelation. They are revelation. What this means is that the Ten Commandments reveal the character of God. The, the very first time these commandments show up in the Bible, it's in Exodus 20, the passage that Kathy just read for us. God at that point had just led his people out of Egypt where they had been enslaved for 400 years. He brings them to a mountain called Sinai. Then Exodus 20 verse 1 tells us, And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says to them, This is who I am. I am Yahweh. I am the creator who is and always has been and forever will be. That, that's why he has the authority 
to give us rules. When, when someone hands you a law or tells you that you must do something, you are right to ask, wait a second, does this person really have the authority to tell me that? God, from this outset, before he even gives these people his law, he says, Here is, here's why I have the authority to tell you how to live and the wisdom to tell you how to live. I am Yahweh, the creator. He also says he is the Lord, the Lord. But then he goes on to say, I am your God, your God. The, the your here, by the way, it's interesting, it's, it, it's fascinating. The, the your that he's talking to a group of thousands and thousands of people, but the your here is, is singular. Isn't that interesting? It's as if God is, is pointing something out, that, that he maintains an intimate relationship with each of his people. He is a personal, intimately personal God. And then he goes on to say, I'm the God who rescued you. I redeemed you. I took you out of Egypt. He's a redeemer. He's a savior from whatever oppresses his people, <clears throat> from whatever enslaves or threatens his people. So what God said to those Israelites, it echoes what he now says to every believer in Jesus Christ. He says to you, believer, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the Egypt of your sin, out of your slavery to Satan. That's who he is. And the commands that he then goes on to give his people provide even more insight into just what kind of God he is. The laws reveal something of the character of the lawgiver. When I set up rules in my house, or maybe in your home, you set up certain rules for how you want to see things done, those rules probably reflect your own sensibilities, don't they? They reflect your preferences. They reflect your character, for better or worse. God's laws reflect his character. They, they give us insight into just what kind of God he is. And we'll see that each week. Um, for instance, we'll see, for instance, when, when God says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the, that's the ninth commandment. What does it mean? What does it mean? Literally, it means don't testify falsely against another person. And, and, and that tells us something about God, right? It tells us that, for one thing, he's a God who values truth. But it's more than that. It's more than just he values truth as kind of in theory. It tells us that God is the kind of God who cares and protects the rights of falsely accused people. He cares about people who have been slandered, who have been maligned and spoken falsely about. He's a God who cares to protect the rights of those who have been framed and gossiped about. What kind of God says something like, don't commit adultery? That's the, that's the seventh commandment. What kind of God would make a rule against committing adultery? Well, has to be a God who loves faithfulness, no? A God who loves faithfulness because he himself is faithful. That's why he hates infidelity. He never abandons or betrays this God. This God is not like the cheating husband or the cheating wife who abandons and betrays and lies and hides. No, you see, each commandment, including those two and all the rest, they give more and more insight into God's identity. So, if you study the commandments you are learning about God's character. You are learning him as you learn his commands. You learn what he stands for. Here, here's something else that the Ten Commandments show us about God's character. 
They show us that he loves us perfectly, and he wants us to love like he does. He wants us to love like he does. Jesus summed up, when Jesus was asked, he summed up all of the commandments this way. He said, you can sum them all up with two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see what he's saying? He's saying you take all these Ten Commandments, and really they boil down to this. They're all about love. You may not notice that at first glance, but they're all about love. Many people have pointed this out. The first four commandments focus on how we love God, that vertical, vertically directed love. And then the other six commandments tell us how to love others horizontally. How do we love others? In fact, that fourth commandment, I've often thought, is kind of in the middle because that, that, the fourth commandment tells us to, um, to, uh, to keep the Sabbath. And in one sense, people have said that, that's about, it's about taking a day of the week to worship God. So it's about the way we love God. But that Sabbath law, it's also about how we love other people, isn't it? Because when the Israelites were told to keep the Sabbath, it was for the sake of their servants, too. They were not allowed to make their servants work. They were not allowed to make their employees and their families go out and work and labor. They were forced to let everyone rest. And in so doing, they're loving God and they're loving their neighbors. All of these commands are about loving God, either vertically or loving others horizontally in a way that reflects the way that God loves us. His whole law is about love. We'll see that in more detail, again, as we go on through these in the weeks ahead. But for now, here's the point. Here's the point. The law reveals how God loves and how he wants us to love him and other people. You need to see his love when you look at his law. His law will look burdensome to you. It may look arbitrary to you and restrictive to you if you miss you miss the fact that they're all about his love. So the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, did you say Ten Commandments? Commandments are revelation. They reveal the character of God. But not only that, the second thing we're going to see is that the Ten Commandments are confrontation. Confrontation. You know, these commandments, they, uh, they reveal us to ourselves. They confront us. In fact, they, they give us sometimes shocking insight into our own character. Think about it. Think about it. What kind of people need to be told you shall not steal? What kind of people need to be told by their God you shall not steal? That's the eighth commandment, by the way. Isn't it people who are prone to steal? <laughs> Isn't it people who are prone to take from others unjustly? Perhaps, perhaps even without noticing that they're doing so. Thinking they're entitled to it even. Or perhaps it's for people who prefer to take rather than give. What kind of people need to be told, don't commit adultery? It's probably unfaithful people, isn't it? Or at least it's folks who naturally drift towards infidelity. So you see, each of the commands confronts us with the reality of our own sinful tendencies. 
each command, it, 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 it confronts us with our, our lack of love, our, those grasping, betraying impulses, that, that, that self-centeredness that so often has a, a deep, deep hold on us. We see it when we look at the law. It's uncomfortable to see that about ourselves, but, but it can be uh, life-giving. It's meant by God to be life-giving because when, when you become aware of that sin, the, the, those innate tendencies towards what is evil, then it has, it has the power to deeply humble you. And when you are deeply humbled before God, then you are all the more eager and thankful to receive the forgiveness that he has for you in Jesus. You see, the gospel will be precious to a careful student of the commandments. Now, I said to a careful student of the commandments, not just to a casual reader of the commandments, because the fact is that we can glance at these commandments quickly and sock away saying, I'm not guilty of any of this, uh, or at least most of this. I don't steal, I don't kill. But, but that's just, if we walk away thinking that way, it's only because we're not reading carefully. We're not careful students of the commandments because if we were, we wouldn't miss the deeper meaning of each command. And there is a deeper meaning to each command. If you think you're doing pretty well when it comes to these commandments, I'm, I'd recommend that you listen to the way Jesus interpreted them. Jesus had a way of making even the most basic commandment confrontational. <laughs> In a loving way. He would often use the law to confront people. In love. He would confront people who, who seemed to, to think that they were moral. And good. Jesus would use the law this way. Look at what he says in Matthew 5, 27. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. In his heart. And so with that one line, he takes a commandment about adultery and he just makes a, a very specific application. He happens to make it to men. It could be applied to women too. He just he decides, I'm going to apply this to men and I'm going to apply it in such a way to let you see that if this, if this is not showing you something that you need to see about your heart and about your life, then you just, you're not looking carefully enough. You're being too casual with these commandments. You're, you're dealing with them superficially. We're going to see more of that again in the coming weeks because Jesus famously, he took these Ten Commandments and, and rather than dismiss them, he gives us a deeper understanding of them. He says, he says you read them too superficially, folks. Let, let's press in a little more and see what it really means. And a few verses later in Matthew 5, Jesus goes as far as to say, he says, he says look, you, you, know how you're, you know how you're supposed to love your neighbor, Right? He's talking to Jewish people who had learned from infancy, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you know how you're supposed to love your neighbor? You could imagine everyone would say, yeah, yeah. And he says, well, did you know that your neighbor includes your enemies? Did you know that your neighbor includes foreigners? Do you know your neighbor includes people that don't like you, who hate you, who have hurt you? Imagine the audacity of Jesus to say, you think you know this law. But let's, let's look at it more closely, and you will see how it confronts you with your lack of love. And then, and then Jesus goes as far as to display 
love for his enemies. He doesn't just preach on it. He, he displays it by sur- surrendering his life for people who mocked him and betrayed him. Jesus would, would later die for those very people. In so doing, he fulfilled. He, he fully obeyed the command to love God and others. And he did that in our place. So that if we trust in him, he, his obedience, it, it's credited to us. That, that's, the, that's the beautiful message of the gospel. That the same Jesus who confronts us with the law then fulfills that law on our behalf and takes the penalty for our failure to fulfill it. You see, the the law and the gospel are not in opposition to each other. No, they complement each other. The law tells us what God demands of us, and then the gospel tells us what God has done to satisfy those demands for us through Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. And the gospel then even goes further than that. It tells us that God can empower us by his spirit to increasingly walk in new obedience to his commands. You see, the law is not opposed to the gospel. The law tells us what God demands and the gospel comes along and says, here's what God has done to fulfill these demands for you on your behalf so that you can be at peace and have eternal life. And more than that, the gospel tells you that now you have the spirit who lives in you, who can empower you to walk in new obedience. No, it won't be perfect obedience, not until Christ returns, but we can walk in new and increasing obedience to these commands. That's the good news of the gospel. It complements the law. So if we we let the Ten Commandments confront us, um, if, if we let them, they will confront us, and, and, and they will show us how desperately we need a Savior. I wonder, I wonder if, if some of us, the reason some of us are so bored or, or ambivalent about the gospel is because we haven't given adequate attention to these demands. We, we, we've, we've given only cursory, superficial attention to them, and so we haven't yet seen our desperate failure to meet these demands. So, so the better we understand these commandments, the better we are going to grasp the gospel of Jesus Christ. The better we see these commands for what they are, the better we will see Jesus for who he is and what he has done with clarity and hearts that overflow with appreciation and love. And that is our goal. That's our goal. So we can welcome the confrontation of the law. We don't need to be scared to push in deeper to the law because all that it confronts us with, all the sinfulness it confronts us with, the grace of God and Jesus Christ is able to cover and take away. So we need to be fearful of it. Thirdly, let's move on. The, the commandments are revelation and confrontation, but they are also instruction. They instruct us. A few months ago, we finished a series in the book of Titus, and one of the central points of that book of Titus is that The gospel leads to godliness. Hopefully you remember that if you're around for that series. In other words, believing in Jesus will lead us to become Jesus-y people. If we believe in Jesus, we'll become more Jesus-y. We will become folks who who look like Jesus and live like Jesus. I mean our character and our conduct and our convictions. Titus calls that godliness. Godliness. And one of the reasons we studied Titus is that I thought it would be a great, a great bridge to take us into the Ten Commandments. Because here in the Ten Commandments, we see in a bit more detail 
what it looks like to live as Jesus-y people, as folks who have been freed from the penalty and the controlling power of sin. The, the, the Ten Commandments show us what that looks like. It, it show us, shows us godliness in the details. In this law, in this law, God is con- he's instructing us on how to live as free people. He's, he's showing us how to live as free people who have been freed from the penalty and power of sin and are now free to resemble our Savior and our Father. Remember, the first time God gave his people these commands is when he had just freed them from Egypt, right? Just brought them out. They had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. How long is 400 years? Stop to consider for a moment how long that is. Think about how many generations of parents and grandparents and great-great-great-great-grandparents come and go over 400 years. It's hard for me to wrap my head around. I, to put it in some perspective, the, the first ship that brought enslaved African people to what would eventually become the United States, it landed in Jamestown in 1619. 1619 was the first um, documented slave ship arrived in what would become the United States. It happens to be 400 years ago. Isn't that interesting? 400 years ago. So imagine a people group enslaved from 1619 until now. Now. Four centuries, all this time of subjugation and humiliation, 400 years worth of families being torn apart and separated, one sold here and one sold there, 400 years of having their dignity stamped out, 400 years of of losing any real sense of identity and and self-worth. Imagine the trauma and the damage that's done over 400 years. That's the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. And God intends in many ways to heal them. But one means he wants to use are these commandments. He wants to give them these commandments to remind them of who they are. Because 400 years can erase any sense of identity. 400 years of slavery can erase any sense of who you are. And he wants to, in 400 years, well, over 400 years, one forgets how to live as a free person. One forgets what freedom even looks like. And so God says, I'm going to teach you how to live as free people. And notice, he doesn't say, keep these commands and I will rescue you and I will liberate you. No, he says, I have already liberated you. You are my freed people now. Here's how I want you to live. So you can enjoy that freedom. The 40, then 40 years later, after that all happened, after 40 years of wandering in the, in the wilderness, God is about to bring his people into the land that he has promised them. And then he stops and he decides he's going to remind them again about these commands. So, so he, he t- gives them the commands when they come out of Egypt, and then he gives them to him, them again as they're about to enter the promised land. That's in Deuteronomy 5. He gives them the law again, a refresher to hold other generation of people and he says he says it's because I am who I am and because you are my people you were chosen by me you were rescued by me it's because of that that I'm now instructing you on how to live in accordance with these commands and now for us for us as God's new covenant people he's also instructing us through these commands on how to live as those who have been freed from sin 
as those who have been freed by sin through faith in Jesus. The Lord is instructing us today on how to live as free men and women and children. You know, part of the reason that God taught his people how to live this way is because he knew that they, when they entered that new promised land, they were going to encounter other laws, other ways of living. And isn't that true for us? No matter where we live, where we work, where we study, where we go, we encounter laws that folks live by. And we're faced constantly with the decisions. Will we live by those laws? Or will we live by the laws that God has given us? You know, way back in the late 1980s, two authors, they conducted a national survey that led to the publication of a book. And uh, the, the survey, in the survey, they asked thousands of, of people, uh, Americans, uh, about their opinions on certain topics. Uh, topics related to um, uh, crime, sex, civil rights, and lots, lots more. Um, issues related to ethics, both personal and social. And these two researchers, they, the conclusion they arrived at when they finally published their book in 1991 was this. They said, quote, there is absolutely no moral consensus at all. Everyone is making up their own personal moral codes, their own Ten Commandments, end quote. Isn't that interesting? And then, and then these authors went on, again, this is 1991, right? But they went on to list what they called the real Ten Commandments that people were living by, that they felt many people were living by. And, and as I read that list of their real Ten Commandments, it made me wonder, what commandments do you think people live by today? If you had to list, you don't even have to come up with ten, but a few commandments that you think the people that you see in your life live by. Maybe not in America as a whole, but, but perhaps in your little corner of the world, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in the spaces you occupy online. What commandments are people living by? As I thought about that phrase, I found myself unable to really list a set of commands, but a few terms started coming to mind. A few things came to mind. One, one that came to mind was the phrase, live your truth, live your truth. I thought maybe that's a command that, that, that folks live by. If I'm going to experience freedom in this life, what I need to do is live by my truth, find out what my truth is and live by it. Um, I thought of the, the command, live and let live. I thought of the command to follow your heart. I thought of the command, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Or the shortest one of all, do you, do you. Now, I don't know if you would agree with me that these are commandments by which our society lives, but I think for some folks they are, and, and I've certainly encountered these, and I've seen in my own heart a tendency towards some of these commands. I notice that they all seem to emphasize autonomy, don't they? They all seem to, to emphasize a radical independence. You do what you want. In fact, the only commandments you need to obey are the commandments that you determine matter, that perhaps you create for yourself. What God gives us in his commandments is a radically different way to live because it starts from a radically different place. It starts with who the Lord is and who we are in relation to him. 
as our creator, life-giving, freedom-giving, redeeming God. The commandments of God of God are the opposite of do you. And we're going to see that in the weeks to come. What I hope we'll see is that these commands are profound. Although they may be very simple, they are also profound. We hope they, they have so much to teach us. Each one gives us a lot to unpack and chew on. I'll give you one simple example, okay? I, I referred to it earlier because it's one of the more well-known commandments, but the eighth commandment says, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. And it's easy to look at that and say, got it. I don't, I don't do that. I may, I, may, I may have in the past, but I don't do that anymore. I don't shoplift, no bank robberies. I never carjacked anyone. But how many forms can stealing take? How many ways can we cheat someone out of what is rightfully theirs? Not just monetarily, but emotionally, socially. How can we cheat people and take what's not ours? Oh, there are many, many ways to steal, and it's not just money and possessions that we steal. How many ways are there to cheat the system? <laughs> and, and then on top of that, have you ever noticed that, that every command has a flip side? See, most of the commands in the Ten Commandments happen to be framed negatively, right? You shall not X, typically. But when Jesus and, and his apostles, when they interpret these commands, they, they tend to flip them over and look at the opposite side. To look at the positive implications. So, for instance, don't steal isn't just don't steal. L look at what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4.28. Look at how he refers to the Eighth Commandment. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So, so what's the opposite of stealing? It's not not stealing. The opposite of stealing is working and giving. It's, it's diligent labor and Radical generosity. You see, this command all along, it wasn't just meant to curb theft. It wasn't about that. It was meant to guide God's people into, into ways of, of diligence and generosity, which requires selflessness and honesty and, and sacrifice. There's more to these commands than meets the eye. So if we're careful and we're humble, we will find treasure troves of instruction here for us. And lastly, lastly, these commands are promise. They are revelation, they are confrontation, they are instruction, and lastly, they are promise. Promise. We need to look closely to see this because it's hard, it's easy to miss this. Every commandment reveals God's character. Every, every command, it confronts us with our own sinfulness, our own failure, and, and every, every, every commandment should instruct us on how to live. But if that's all they did... The commandments would just be burdensome and overwhelming. But praise be to God, praise be to God that every command comes with a promise. There's a promise embedded in it. The promise is this. Jesus has fulfilled this law for you. If you will trust him, he promises to give you his righteousness. His perfect obedience is credited to you. And he promises that on the final day when God will judge the world based on this law, you will be saved. 
you will be deemed justified. The law stands as a promise of judgment for everyone who rejects Christ. But it's a promise of salvation for all who receive him. And more than that, God promises that for all who receive Jesus as Lord, he promises to write these commands on our hearts. You know what that means? It doesn't just mean he's going to help us to memorize them. We can memorize these commands. No, but it means that that he will take these commands and make them more than just rules on a page or rules in your head. He promises to integrate them into our deepest instincts so that obedience to these commands becomes instinctual, habitual. He promises to weave them into our personalities and into our sensibilities so that we will want to do what God wants. We will delight in what God delights in. He tells us that through the prophet Jeremiah. He tells us that in Hebrews. The promises keep coming. He he tells us thanks to the finished work of Christ on the cross and because of the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, we who are in Christ will be transformed. That transformation is little by little. But once and for all, when Christ returns, we will be made new so that at the core of our beings, we'll be filled with, with this, this joyous, surging integrity and generosity and loyalty and honesty. Everything that the... That the Ten Commandments show us about the character of God will be abundantly true of us. What a promise. We will trust and love God with all our hearts, and we will love others like him. What a promise. So, so look, for many of us, as we, as we exit 2022, some of us are limping into 2023. Some of us are burdened with disappointments, with grief, with anxiety, we are tired, and we are worn out, and some of us are just sad. And we don't necessarily need just more things to do. We don't need God to come to us and say, do more. And that's not what the commandments are doing for us. The Ten Commandments come to us as God's unchanging, perfect will for our lives. But it also points away from itself. This, this law parts away from itself to the gospel, to that promise of acceptance and true transformation. That's why the Ten Commandments can give us hope as we enter this new year. May the Lord give us hope as we walk through it over the course of the next several months. Let's pray. Our Father, we submit to you as wise, eternally wise, Lord, who else has the authority to tell us how to live? Only you, only you. And so we submit to you. But we also submit to you because we know your laws are good. Show us that, Lord. Show us. Help us to delight in your commands. Father, as, as, your, as your law reveals sin in us, don't let us be driven to hopelessness. Instead, drive us to Christ where we find real hope of forgiveness and acceptance. Remind us again of your purposes, your, your, your commitment to transform us into Jesus-y folks who will one day perfectly resemble our Savior.
encourage us. Don't discourage us through these laws, Lord. We pray that ultimately we would be walk away from your commands with a newfound love for you and a newfound belief and trust in the gospel. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. As we uh, continue our worship service by moving into a time of taking the communion, uh, as we have the privilege to take the Lord's Supper together as one body. So for those who intend to take the elements, if you haven't already picked up a cup on the way in, uh, you can just raise your hand and Jay and Jihan are bringing the tray around. We're glad to give you the elements. So today on New Year's Day, as uh, Tim has mentioned before, many of our thoughts are on renewal, renewed resolutions we've made to one another, made to ourselves for the coming year. As we take the Lord's Supper together today, which is prepared for us by Jesus, we are again reminded of renewal, that the communion we're about to take together is an enduring symbol of renewal, our renewed focus on Christ, our renewed hope in the new covenant given to us in him. So as we participate together in the Lord's Supper every week, we are reminded again and again of what is most important in our lives. We remember together the gospel and we celebrate with humility and joy gift of God's grace. So in a moment, we will take the Lord's Supper together, eating and drinking the elements, remembering our Lord and his death for us on the cross. These elements, the bread and the cup, point us to Jesus' loving and life-giving sacrifice. So we want to invite all believers who have committed their lives following Christ to join together, taking the Lord's Supper. But if you have not fully committed to following Christ or you do not yet understand or, or accept the gospel, then we ask instead respectfully that you do not take the elements, but instead please uh, reflect on and pray through the, the words on the screen. Brothers and sisters, before we take the Lord's Supper together today, let's take a moment to examine ourselves, recognizing both the gravity of our sin and the weight of the cost of Jesus' glorious sacrifice for us on the cross. Let's take a moment in quiet prayer, reflecting on the gospel and confessing our sins before the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
come to you today realizing our unworthiness to receive the communion. And yet, with renewed hope and joy, we do come to this supper through the sacred blood of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We give thanks for your mercy and grace and ask you through this bread and cup to nourish us spiritually. Help us grow in strength and faith and unity and love for you and one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So now, New Hope, after hearing these words from the book of Mark, let's take the Lord's Supper together. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. New Hope, let's eat the bread together. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. New hope, let's drink together.
Just as our God has gathered us here together to worship him, he now sends us out. He sends us out in the power of his spirit to live as free people. Free people who will not use their freedom for selfish purposes, but will use their freedom to serve and honor him. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory. To him be glory throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.